White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Welcome back to the Razball Prospect Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Lipschitz, the Prospector-in-Chief. You know me as Prospect Jesus on Twitter, amongst other uh, 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 monikers that I like to throw out there because I'm a complete goofball. It's big news today. Big news. Not fake news, but big news. We have Lance joining the podcast. Broschitz is official. Lance, how are you, my, my man? I'm doing very well. Very, very well. Thursday night. Uh, we had some audio difficulties, but we got it. We got it going, and I'm I'm really excited to join. Um, this is going to be fun, man. I'm so stoked to be on this with you. Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. And uh, you were my first choice, and you said yes. That usually doesn't happen ever in life with anything. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna appreciate that as as a good sign. And audio issues. I feel like my last week has just been audio issues. We did the podcast. I did a podcast, couple podcasts between Help and yourself. One by myself to sort of get my thoughts out there on some things. And then I did the the Braves uh, penalty podcast with Jason Woodell uh, of uh, Jason at the Game on Twitter, uh, Prospect Storm, and then Prospect 1500. And um, he was in the car driving to North Carolina from Florida. So he was he was in a car driving 70 miles an hour while I was talking to me. So that's some <laughs> of the, the background noise. So hopefully we've eliminated all that. Any of the issues I had in the baseball show last night with our uh, interview with uh, Jacob 
Faria, by the way, if you want to watch that, the actual rebroadcast, we just taped here on Blue Jeans. It's fine. We had some streaming issues that I think we're going to get figured out. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of audio issues in the last week. It's it's kind of painful. The bane of my existence. Name the game, you know. <laughs> totally, yeah, totally, and that's and that's that's the issue with podcasts too. Like, I, there's been so many podcasts in the past where I don't even know if we've mentioned it on air. We've had to re-record. You know, helping myself, <laughs> Gray and help, Gray myself and help. It's a little bit brutal when that happens, but hopefully that doesn't happen today. And uh, today's podcast, we're going to be going into. I know I'm a little bit behind in my my typical system previews. We're going to be getting into those next week. We're going to jump into the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, with some of these systems. They're going to try to bring in a third person that's more of an expert on the particular system to sort of talk with Lance and myself. But today, first-year player draft day, and it couldn't come at a better time, Lance. My first uh, first year player draft of the year is actually tomorrow. Every year on December 1st, we start this. It's an 18-team head-to-head categories league. I was brought into it years ago by uh, Smokey, actually, the bullpen rider for Razzball. Um, and it's, it's, uh, my team is garbage. It's been garbage for a long time. I've been in the league now. This is going on my third year, and it's taken forever to rebuild. Uh, I, think I, have a, I think I have a shot this year, but we'll see. So it starts tomorrow. It's a slow draft. It's, it's appropriate. And uh, I don't have a first-round pick this year because I traded him for a couple of pitchers. And uh, I, I have everybody in the league hitting me up, asking me who they should take in the first round. So I'm giving them bad information, hoping that the first round is done by the time this drops Saturday morning. <laughs> if, any, if anyone if anyone is in this league with Ralph, just do not listen to this podcast, please. Just shut it off. <laughs> but well, no, that must be weird. You said it's a slow draft that starts in December. This must be odd because the stove the stove right now is extremely cold for everything yeah. that's going on. And I know that it's not really relevant to prospects on the prospecting sure. side, but like there's nothing going on. Like the biggest signing we have is Doug Fister. Like that, that's yeah. that's what we're working with. You know, we have Otani Rumblings, which we'll kind of get into a little bit. He's basically consensus number one in any first year player draft you're looking at far and away, in my opinion. And I think Ralph's too. But yeah, it's kind of wild. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think we're used to the stove being this cold, but we got some rolling rumblings around Stan and the Giants and him prospectively accepting a trade that includes, I think, Shaw, um, BD, and Panic. So I, I, I yeah. think it'll warm up. I'm pretty excited. I get a couple weeks here. It's going to warm up. Otani's going to be gone before they, uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving already happened. Uh, Christmas, before Christmas, he'll Christmas. be gone. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Let's but hope. yeah. Yeah, that let's will, hope. But Otani. Exciting. Yeah, I'm number one. Have you listened to Jerry Depoto's new podcast at all? This is the question oh I was God. meaning to ask you. Jerry Depoto has a podcast. You did not know this. It is no. literally like unreal. It's literally him, and I I can't. I want to say the Root Sports broadcaster for the Mariners. I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm East Coaster, so I apologize there. But he has yeah. his own podcast. He's released two episodes. The first episode was all about Otani, and the second one was kind of a mix of like staffing and stuff. So. Obviously, it's a little bit different than like the fantasy baseball stuff Razzball pushes, but I listened to this. I saw it on Twitter. I listened to it, and I was just blown away. I, I enjoyed it so much. I don't even think it's that go- good or great, but I just thought it was so funny. I just The whole time, I'm just like, this is Jerry DePoto. Jerry freaking DePoto is talking to me right now. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. And, and, and to be a GM and just yeah. have like general conversations, that is such a Jerry DePoto thing to do. Like <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's like it's like self-promoting, but also at the same time, like to to anybody in the know is also like that's kind of self-defeating. Like it's the complete opposite of like Bill Belichick. 
who won't tell you the color <laughs> yeah. of his laces and you're staring at them, you know? And yeah. uh, this guy has a podcast and he's openly discussing a player that his team is, I would say, yeah. a, a, a potential front runner to sign on top of it. Honestly, so, after listening to it, I, I think they might be, honestly. Like, just, he says that it's one of those yeah. things. The, the best insight, I think, piece of insight for anyone's looking at Otani in any first year player draft is, and trying to, and maybe these drafts are starting now and you don't really know where he's going. The Depoto says it's it's been a slow process. Like they've known for a bit, teams have known for a bit that Otani is coming over. Or is, there's a possibility yeah. he's coming over. So you build that relationship over time. This isn't like a thing where every team hears he's posted and like throws up their papers and runs to the phone to try to contact his his agency and his <laughs> his reps in Japan. It's it's a matter of like this has been a process from what I understand, which means that I'd love to try and see if anybody can dig into and find out what teams maybe two years ago started to build those relationships because those are the teams I think it's, that are going to be the front runners for him. But I mean, on the first year player yeah. draft side here, Ralph, Otani, consensus number one, far and away, I think there's a massive gap between him and who we both have at number one, Luis Robert, who was recently signed from Cuba. Um, it's a big gap for me. Otani is, I mean, you're getting like, going to be probably around a four warp pitcher is what we're assuming. And then you got the whole batting aspect that I know a lot of formats, fan tracks, ESPN, wherever else you play are going to have to deal with. But is it that big of a gap for you between Otani and everyone else, Ralph? Yeah, it's a huge gap because Otani is one of these guys that he's coming in and much like Tanaka, much like you Darvish, he's coming in initially and right off the bat, he is a major league commodity. He is mixed league yeah. relevant in, in any format. Uh, now, there's some questions attached to him. Maybe we'll hit on a couple of those in a second. But I think the fact that he is so major league ready and it's a consensus that this guy has star ability as a pitcher and potentially has the added benefit of a hitter. But if we look at the track record, we look at his numbers comparatively to Tanaka, uh, you know, to you Darvish, um, uh, you know, um, I was going to say even Matsuzaka, who I know ultimately has looked like a, as a flop. But if you look at his first two years, though he was really inefficient and walked way too many batters, his numbers overall are pretty good. Uh, he won a ring his first year. And uh, he won three playoff games between two years. So he wasn't all that bad either. But there's a long track record of these high-level Japanese stars coming over and being really good. I mean, Kenta Maeda was better than, than expected. So I think mm -hmm. when you factor all that in and then you boost it by the fact that this guy is considered by talent evaluators the best Japanese player to come over uh, in terms of the pitching side ever, and all-around player, I would say since Ichiro. Because at this point, it's still tough to put this guy over Ichiro, 23 years old. All the Ichiro's done um, in two leagues, you know, two continents. It's really tough to sort of say that. Now, the knocks on Otani. The big question is he threw 25 innings last year. And how many innings does he ramp up to this year, especially if he's playing the field? Now, I'll interject my personal feeling on this. I think that ham fighters were holding him back. I think the intention was they knew the posting situation was going to get figured out. There was a big payday here, and there was no reason to get this guy injured. He showed what he could do in 2016 when he was an all-star on both sides of the ball. Um, it's the reason they – I know he had some injuries, but it, it was a little phantomish. And I know, you know he didn't pitch in the World Baseball Classic. It just seems that everything was ramping up to this point. He's only 23. We've seen players ramp up before. 
He averaged over 150 innings uh, between the first three seasons before, while also playing some outfield and obviously hitting on the regs. So I wouldn't be shocked if he ramps up to 150 plus innings. I know that was a concern. Um, you know, my crab army likes to throw me lots of questions. They hit me with their claws. That was one of the things they were hitting <laughs> me with. And I think it's, I, I think it is an interesting argument. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up to you, and it's been yeah. uh, the point of much debate over the last few days. I've uh, saw Keith Law take some flack on it. I repeated it in uh, Malamoni's post today. Uh, this is Thursday on Rasball. And okay. Gray and Trust were kind of going back and forth with me. Keith Law states that he's heard from at least three scouts that Otani's run is an 80 grade. Now, I read yes. 70 in MLB. I'd seen 60 other places. He's been clocked down the line at 3.8, and yep. three scouts have said 80 grade speed. Now, understand, Billy, Billy Hamilton's 80 grade speed, but he's really off the scale. Byron Buxton is 80 grade speed, but he's really yep. off the scale. I mean, these guys are all world sort of speedsters. <laughs> like, They'd be really fast in the NFL. They'd be really fast anywhere that they played. So what do you think about that 80 grade? Now, I don't know if it's real or not, but it's it's, it's hilarious okay. because, Ralph, this was literally what I was thinking about as I, you, I saw you because I could see you on the screen. We're podcasting, but we're looking at each other, too. I saw you building up to this point, And in my head, I was like, oh, I wonder if what Ralph's point's going to be. I'm going to talk about the, the tweets I saw about this runtime. So my, my opinion on the runtime is interesting. Um, it revolves around a couple things. One, I I don't know if I'd say it's 80 grade speed. Like 80 grade is reserved for like, mm. I mean, just unbelievable. If you're going to give it out 80 grade and anything, you're probably going to give it out in speed because, you know, you could see on stack has sprint speed leaderboards, these few feet per second, Byron Buxton's like top. Yeah. And then Billy Hamilton is just absurd. But like, I feel like those are exceptions. Like you're not going to give out an 80 grade hit tool. Like when was the last time we saw an 80 grade hit tool? Like Mejia was coming up yeah, through right. the minor leagues. Fantastic hit tool. He's not near an 80. Like I can't even think of like Altuve. Like 80 grade hit tool is not something you give to anyone. It's something you develop to. If you have a present and a future grade, the 80 goes in the future. And even that is astounding. But I yeah. saw this and I saw the video particularly where he was clocked at 3.8. And the biggest thing I took away from that was a comment by someone. Don't remember who. I apologize. Um who said that there's a cutaway in the video and in that cutaway, they think it takes away about 0.1 seconds. So it's more from my perspective. And I agree with this because it makes sense. The cut in the video yeah. would take away this time. And we're talking about fractions of a second and it makes sense. But so it probably is more like a three, nine, four down the line first to uh, a home to first, excuse me. So 70 grade, I would sit on and I'm fine with that. I, I just can't give it an 80 grade. And that's also because I haven't seen it. Like we don't have a lot of video of Otani running down the line. Like yeah. I'm not going to give an 80 grade to someone I've only seen like two gifs of or a, a one five second Twitter video and, and et cetera on. It's just, it's tough. And I don't know. I didn't see this chain of, of, of conversation between you and Malmoni and everyone else. I'm going to have to go back and dig into it now. That's going to be my reading for tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I can't give it 80. I'll give it 70 and I'll th toss in that tidbit about the fact that there's a cutaway that probably takes a second or two. So that 3.8, that's in that screen. I'm sure like everyone saw this video where it's right in the bottom right corner. It's more like a 3.94 from what I understand. Yeah. And see that, and that makes total sense. And I'm fine if it's if it's 70 grade. Yeah, you know whatever yeah. splitting hairs more or less. Um, it's just you so rarely see an 80 anything. It's so yeah, rare exactly. you even hear an 80 whispered. And this happens to be the one skill set that's measurable. Yeah. It's the only, and it's one the one measurable. that like no one's talked about forever with Otani. You talk about everything two way and this and that. Yeah. I and mean, he's got power. He's got contact. He's got 
an 870 fastball, 70 arm, yeah. you know, maybe even 80 fastball. He's got the slider. Like, and yeah. then we go to the speed. Now we're, if we're so, the stove is so cold, we're talking about Otani's goddamn home to first time. And yeah, I know. It's it almost is, it December is, 1st. It is, it is kind of funny. It's that unbelievable. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah, I mean, either way, the guy's obviously fast. I think I had yeah. seen a 60 when I was researching for that post I wrote a couple months back, like right after maybe the beginning of October where it was like the mm-hmm. only thing I could write about, and you know, it was that point where I didn't want to start writing previews or anything like that. And yeah. I wanted to give it a couple of weeks before I did some wrap up lists. And I wrote a Notani post which was relatively long and I really dug in on it. And I tried to dig on the fantasy implications and how sites would handle it. I tried to lobby a little bit to fan tracks. Uh, yeah. They didn't listen to me. Fan tracks, by the way, is going to handle it with one player and you can, uh, I guess, uh, accrue points on both sides. Yeah, I've heard that this is starting to become the consensus from what I understand, too. I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I don't think I had a strong opinion to start, but... I had heard that CBS was going to do two players. Interesting. That'll be interesting if we have different sites doing different things with it. Yeah, I think you it, know? it will be. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because so, somebody's going to do it just to be different in some way or another. You know, That's true. And, and the biggest implication for me, too, is I want to see... I play in a couple NFBC leagues, which are those crazy, stupid buy-ins. I save up for them literally all year. And so I can drop a couple hundred on and get in on one just because I enjoy the competition so much. But those are weekly yep. lock with yeah. a Monday and a Thursday night or Friday morning, whatever it is, for that second series. So if you're drafting Otani the hitter, like you're not sure how many at-bats he's going to get. And, and the thing is, like these NFBC drafts start up in January, early January. And yeah. we're not going to have a clear picture of his playing time. Like everyone's going to draft Otani the hitter if he split up as a second person. We're going to get into the season and you're going to be like, oh shit, I don't actually have any idea how often he's going to be playing. Like you have to be in a daily lock league almost. Like it just doesn't make sense. If you're drafting Otani the hitter in weekly lock league, it's just, yeah. I, where are you going to put him? Like I'll take, I'll take a guy who's probably on the way. I'll take any guy right after your draft on the waiver over an Otani we're not sure is going to hit or how often he's going to hit. Like, that's the thing. Like, you look at counting stats in fantasy. That, that plays a big role if you're in a points league in daily lock. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things coming around this. Like, it's just, it's swirling. It swirls my head almost. I'm, I'm fine with just sitting back and letting everyone else debate this. Because I don't think I have a strong opinion on it. But I what do you think? I certain things. My, my thing is, uh, he's a great dynasty asset. He's a player I really want to own in dynasty. Oh, yeah. Other than maybe one league, probably toward that maybe is a little bit, not so serious. Maybe an RCL, I'll take a shot and I'll draft him somewhere if the price is right. But in redraft, he is, I'll let somebody else own him the first year. Let's figure out how things shake out, you know? Yeah. Um, it's honestly, it's not a bad strategy. I think it's, I think it's okay to be conservative with him first year in redraft. In dynasty, like I said, depending upon how you get him, I think you have to make the investment because this guy, the, the upside, the ceiling is so good. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. But enough of Otani. Let's get into some first-year player stuff here. Um, cool. I'm looking at your list right now, Ralph, and I'll rattle off the one through oh. five for anyone that's not staring at it. Um, but he, So you got Luis Robert, one, so White Sox outfielder. Royce Lewis, two, shortstop for the Twins. We'll talk about if he's going to stick at short. Mackenzie Gore, lefty for the Padres. Funky delivery, number three. Hunter Green, the phenom from the Reds, right-handed pitcher, number four. And Joe Adele, which is an interesting number five, and I actually kind of like it. For the Angels, who is slowly kind of building up that farm system that's been depleted for so long and so often yeah. knocked. But um, taking a higher level look at the at this list you put together, your philosophy going into it, I know we all kind of follow the draft. I follow the draft very closely. I know you do too. 
and you get a kind of a perspective on the guys then. And then you just have all this instructs that come through. Some of these guys that we've seen already played a little bit of low A and stuff like that. They've gotten promoted, et cetera. Some of them played it all. But the philosophy in from when they're drafted in that time period between where you make this list, Ralph, what's what goes into that? Are you watching a ton of video? Are you digging into the stats? Are you trying to figure out if a guy was just kind of working on a couple pitches in some one of the instruct games he played? Like, what's the just give me the rundown on how you put this together? Sure. So I think I think it's a multi-part process, and it's even different stages in terms of how these lists come out. So I, I typically do some draft coverage um, and and make like a first-year player draft list like right after the draft because I know that there are some leagues where they'll actually do like a, a June prospect draft for the first year players and, and guys that are coming into professional ball. Um, so I'll start out then and I kind of get my biases at that point, players that I like. Um, then, you know, you get that first month or so of when, you know, after they're drafted, once they're actually assigned, you start to read some of the scouting reports and things that are coming, you know, on Twitter and baseball America prospectus or whatever, when people are actually getting some eyes on these guys. Um, you look at the numbers. I try to ignore the numbers until the end of the season when you, there's a bigger sample size. But even then, there isn't sure. a great sample size of these guys. There's a lot of times where there's advanced college players who are later round picks um, that are 23 years old, sometimes even 24, that are playing in in you know lower level rookie ball more or less. They're not even in a short season yep. A ball league like the New York Penn League or the Northwest Northwest League. Um, they're in Arizona or they're, you know, some <laughs> in the DCL uh, and or the Appy League. And it's just yep. not the same, you know. So you have to keep that in mind. Now, I think ultimately what I try, I, I try to value are high end hitters. I value higher than anything else. Um, and then you have to associate some risk with any um, high school or prep picture. And I think that's very format dependent when you take those guys college pitchers, depending upon how high end they are, either get bumped up or down the list. Um, I was probably lower on puck than I should have been last year. Cause he was a little risky um, where someone like Kyle Wright is, uh, you know, a little bit safer, but probably mm-hmm. doesn't have the same sort of overall upside that somebody like last year, you know, puck had. So it's, it's player by player. I, I think I try to balance, um, my preconceived notions coming into the draft, the players that I like coming into the draft, organization plays a part of it. If you're drafted by the wrong organization, um, I know uh, Riley Pint is a great example of this. Once he was a Rockies pitcher, it changed everything for me with Riley Pint. Had Riley Pint gone to, you know, even fallen to the Red Sox or gone to the A's where a lot of people thought he was going to go, or the Braves, I think we view Riley Pint very differently, even if he struggled a little bit, just because of the development side of things. Plus, you're not, you don't have like the ultimate death nail being cooler sort of looming in the background. So sometimes where a, where a player gets drafted. So I think there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. My main philosophy, though, is upside, hitters over pitchers, um, and sort of try to value talent and the scouting reports you've read and apply some context context to the numbers. So there's a player, for example, that we'll get into in a little bit, Helio Ramos, where mm-hmm. his yep. numbers, as great as they are, you need a little context when you start to look behind the scenes and some of the different things uh, that he's struggled with and some of the things he's really good at. So um, I think the philosophy is just class by class, player by player. But I, I always go back to my foundation, which is I lean upside and I lean hitter over pitcher. 
Yeah, very fair. And I think that kind of applies back to a lot of people bring into these drafts a bit of a, a subjective take on their teams, like how you're drafting with your team. If your team's a, a ways off, like I would almost emphasize what Rouse saying about the upside guys more. You know, you look at like uh, Ramos. Um, he's got a ton of upside. He's got crazy power, but he's can a ton. His babbits through the roof. So that's one of those things that you look at him and you go, Jesus Christ. And his speed is unbelievable, yeah. too. You look at him and you go, is, you know, you, you dream about like 30, 30. You know, you're like, oh, my God, can he get there? But at the same time, you look at the K rate and you're like, oh, my God, it's, it's I'm not a one of was he rookie ball at 30 percent. Right. Like, that's just unbelievable. Like, that kind of blows my mind a little bit. And I understand yeah. he's a volatile guy. We'll get into him. But, yeah, I agree. You really got to look at your team. You have to boil down and figure out, you know, if you're in it right now and you just need like another arm, you know, look at a guy like Kyle Wright, even if you're two, three. I have Kyle Wright in my rank. I'll give you my one through five pretty quick. Um, I've Kyle Wright pretty high. I have him literally number three. I like that floor with him. I think that there's a really, really unique mix with him on the high floor and a relatively high ceiling. Maybe not a high ceiling, but one that can produce more value than I think a lot of people are looking at. If you could get a quick return on a guy you're taking in this in a first year player draft like this, that's it makes an impact. You know, I got Shane Baz 10 from the Pirates. You have him, I think, a lot later. That's one of those guys, like, if you're taking him, you're sitting on him for two, three, maybe even three and a half years. You know, mm-hmm. that ETA is looking like it's 2020, 2021. It's not going to be Kyle Wright, you know, Aaron Nola, Carlos Rodon style, where it shoots up through the minor leagues. And year and a half, you're looking at him on your team. So that's one of the things. My top five, I don't think you've seen this, Ralph, so I'm interested in your action. No, it's, it's similar to yours. Oh, you have? Okay, good. So no, Luis Robert won. Oh, you know, you haven't. Good. That's even better. Uh, Luis Rivera, one White Sox pitch outfielder, excuse me. Mackenzie Gore. We got the lefty Padres Two. Kyle Wright is who I have at three um, righty from the Braves. Royce Lewis. I have at four shortstop twins. And then Keston Curia. I have at five. You have Joe at five. I have Joe a little bit lower, but I really, really like, I guess let's, how are we going to do this? Let's go. Let's look at this core for. So I think a lot of lists you look at and you see, we start to see Robert Gore, um, Kyle Lewis, or excuse me, Kyle Lewis, the Mariner, Jesus Christ, got mixed up. <laughs> Royce Lewis, okay. Royce Lewis. And then you jump down to Hunter Green. You have like that kind of crop of four guys. You know, with Robert, we're looking at a Cuban prospect who comes over. Looks a lot in the swing to me like Yasiel Puig, actually, in his motions. Yeah. If you see him from behind the pitcher, that view, any of the tape you see. It, it looks a lot like Puig, just a swing and everything. Maybe, I guess we'll see about the attitude when he plays, if it's like Puig. But <laughs> that's another story. And then you look at McKenzie Gore, wacky mechanics. Everyone has him high. Um Jonathan Mayo, actually, I believe, put out right after back in June his top six or something like that to, to hit the majors first. And although Gore's high school drafted, he had Gore six. And that was kind of surprising because everyone else on there was like a J.B. Bukowskis type, a Kyle Wright, where he's just going to shoot up because he's a college arm. He's 22 and he's just going to fly. But he had Gore because he thinks that I think I've also heard this a bit. And I'm interested in your take. We'll, we'll jump into Gore first. I'm interested in your take on if he can actually move fast through a system, even though he's so young. Yeah, and I think we had spoke about this a little bit offline the other day. Uh, and yeah. Him versus Hunter Green. And there's some positives and negatives with, with each. Now, from a pitchability side, and when I say that, um, just listeners, I think most of them already know at this point, I mean someone that has the ability to sort of manipulate their pitches how they want them to be, whether it's, it's motion, spin, taking a couple miles per hour off to spot it, uh, or add or ramp it up when they need to, and really being able to move the ball throughout the zone. And having a variety of plus or potential plus offerings. Gore has that. This guy is thrown from the left side. He's got a funky delivery um, that you either hate or you love. And I think that there's 
some things that draw me toward gore because of the leg kick. <laughs> I'm such I'm a total awesome. leg kick whore. We talked about this all, <laughs> all the time with help. We were we both love the leg kick on gore. We don't care at all. Um, yeah. And on the other side of things, he's got so many moving parts to his 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 mechanics. I know some of the still frames in terms of when his plant foot goes down. I don't know if you follow Chris O'Leary at all on uh, Twitter. He's kind of like a, a mechanics Nazi out there conspiracy theorist. It's like he he has the ability. He'll he'll break down players and he says, you know, he has this whole thing with a few different motions, and he was killing Gore's mechanics. Now that said, Gore Gore hit the professional ranks in rookie ball like a comet. I mean, this guy was dominant. In 21 innings, what I had heard from uh, Kelly Kusilek, if you don't follow him on Twitter, Chris Kusilek, it's at Kelly Kusilek. This kid is like in his mid-20s. He goes to backfield. It's like all he does is go to instructional, rookie ball, and he was floored with gore. This kid's an ace. Great stuff from the left side. Unbelievable control and command, you know, you know, for the sort of ability that he has. The real big question with Gore is if he's going to get hurt because of those mechanics. But ultimately, he has the athleticism. He has the prototypical frame. He has the pitching ability and acumen uh, that really can't be taught. It's really more acquired by experience. And the fact that he has it this young is really impressive. The big question with him is mechanics. And uh, I don't know how I'm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a, enough of a, of a mechanics expert. I break it down. I talk about it, but I'm not an expert. I'm not working with, you know, MLB teams and, and instructional teams, you know, the minors trying to, you know, write these guys mechanics and get them straight on mm. the plate. I read those things and then I observe stuff, but I'm not an expert. So I'm not going to sit here and say Mackenzie Gore is going to get hurt. But if we're trying to be critical here, I think that that's probably where where we go with Gore is is the mechanic side of things. Because other than that, there's not much to knock Gore on. Oh no, exactly. That's the thing. It, I got into a rabbit hole with his mechanics, so I sat down. I think I started on Tuesday, really digging into some of these guys and watching tape and going through the stats. And I got I looked at your list, and then from off that, I was just looking straight down your list on these guys. And I got to Gore. I think what did you have him three? Uh, yeah, yeah, you have him three. Three. So I get to Gore, and then I spend like 35 minutes on this like YouTube video. <laughs> of, of these two guys literally just slow-mo going back and forth with Gore's mechanics and breaking him down from high school. And yep. I'm not a mechanics expert either, but I was really interested in a couple of things, specifically if you watch any slow frame of him and you watch his plant foot going forward, he stays really, really far behind that plant foot. And it's, yeah. I didn't like see it. And that's the thing, like I'm interested in the individual, in the individual you said, I don't remember you, Chris, I think you said his name was that watches Gore in the backfield and said he's Chris. an ace. Uh, Chris uh, Kusilek, yeah. Cali, I'm interested, at, like Cali Kusilek. I'm interested if you see Mackenzie Gore live like that, and you immediately go, "Oh my God!" Like this kid is unbelievable. He's ace. I wonder what his impression would be if he goes and he watches a video where you still frame and you see his front foot, and you go, "That's a little bit scary." Like he's not going to be yeah. able to extend past that. He he's unbelievably athletic. Like for him to achieve this delivery is just kind of boggles my mind and it's not even the leg kick itself the leg kicks all the momentum build it's just push forward and it's the plan on that foot and it's just it's wild like i can't believe what he's doing what he's doing and he, he stayed healthy and it's it's impressive but like if there's anyone that has like the quick to twitch muscles to recover and be able to do this repeatedly and repeat it it's him like it's just yeah. we're looking at a very very unique prospect that if i were to suggest anything that would be interesting to me. I'm not saying this would be a good idea or a bad idea for Preller and the Padres to do, but I'd be very interested to see if when he starts putting on weight 
if there's any problems say in his in his in his muscles or joints or whatever have you if they go and start to melt mold his stretch delivery into his windup delivery because if you see him in the stretch there's you can't have that big of a leg kick guys would be running all over you you'd be tyler yeah. glass now basically but with Gore, if they start to they start to take that stretch delivery and bring it into his windup delivery, I'd be interested to see if he ages. Say he's in his mid twenties and he's instead of the one eighty whatever they have him at, he gets up to like maybe one ninety ish, one ninety five, puts on another fifteen pounds. I'd be interested to see if they start to to push towards that to try to take some of the weight off of certain parts of his body that are really going to feel like his hip and stuff. So, but I mean, otherwise, like we're really digging into a guy that I think we both at the end of the day, like a lot, Yeah. but yeah, there's, the <laughs> there's some interesting signs. He's extremely unique. I love, I can't wait to watch him. I really hope the MILB TV package covers some of those lower level Padres games. Cause I will, I will definitely be tuning in wherever he starts. So, <laughs> but comparing him to green Ralph Hunter green. So complete polar opposite, basically in terms of mechanics, you know, if you watch five minutes of Mackenzie Gore tape, and then you go to Hunter green, you literally think you watched like pitchers that came from completely different backgrounds like green's mechanics are thoroughly polished like it's a pleasure to watch him pitch you stare at him and you're like that's it's just beautiful it's what pitching is it's very very concise it's clean you can follow through good arm action everything i love watching him but as you said the results were wildly different you know green had a weird weird blow up start you have i think six runs in a third and then he bounced back he had a, a an inning pitch i think he came three or something like that very vo- small sample size again of of green but the difference between them is is wild on the stat side and on the mechanic side. So, uh, your opinion of Green? Why'd you why'd you go Gore over Green? If if you look at Green, if you look at Green, excuse me, and you see the mechanics are so much cleaner. Yeah, and the funny thing is, after the draft, um, I had initially had uh, Hunter Green within my top fifty prospects uh, when I did my top one hundred in the midseason, and mm-hmm. Mackenzie Gore was one hundred and one. Ah, yes. Somebody really got on me the about legend. it. Remember, Mrs. Gore, yeah. <laughs> the legend and, of this, and, yeah. And it's so funny because then I started to watch him pitch, and there was just all this great scouting I was getting on 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 Gore and, and the things I was hearing about just how crisp everything was, how good his secondaries were. And I, I'm the type where I, I really fall in love with young, talented starters that have great se- secondary pitches. And then he's a lefty. And it's just like I started, yeah. and then in my mind, it just started to get really wound up about Gore. And I started to worry about Green with the secondaries and with some of that stuff that needed to come along just from the pitching side of things. He's got all the natural ability in the world. His mechanics are really streamlined, really clean. Um, the guy I, I talked about on, on, on uh, Twitter, who's the mechanics guy, Chris O'Leary, he, he compared and contrasted the two, and he loves Green. He loves Green's mechanics. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm still higher on Gore because I'm going to trust the guy who knows how to pitch and will figure out the mechanical things. Guys make mechanical tweaks and switches and yeah. streamline stuff all the time. They're constantly evolving. That's something that's consistent with hitters, with pitchers, uh, with golf swings and a million other things in sports. So you have to evolve. You have to tweak. Things change. You know, I think it will change with Gore. Ultimately, though, Green is a really good number two if we're comparing uh, pitching prospects here. And it's almost like 1A and 1B, really. I mean, yeah, Green exactly. has a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. He's got a couple of breaking balls. One sort of average and the other one sort of fringe at the moment. But I think those will come along. Um, they're projectable pitches. And uh, the other thing that I like about Hunter Green, I know I mentioned this in my post, is the fact that his father is apparently a high-level uh, private investigator for uh, <laughs> A-list Hollywood actors, which means he's Ray Donovan. 
which means he's obviously a cleanup guy. This guy's been cleaning up Harvey Weinstein's messes for years. So Hunter Green obviously has like the uh, the connection with the Illuminati or whatever it is. Oh my God, this is fantastic. I love this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to go from that. I don't think everyone's on top of that. It's a good, good moment there. <laughs> but I mean, let's jump over, I guess, uh, out of the pitching realm. Um, or actually, one thing I did want to mention briefly was, sure. you know, you're we're talking about, I think when you look at a top 100 list, you start to see tiering a little bit differently. You know, you have the elite prospects and one through 11 or even one through five. And then you have like this six through 20, where it's like, these guys are very, very good. They're, they're 55 value, 60 value prospects, whatever you want to call them. And then you start to, you see lines where you go, okay, this is the line. And below this, you start to see a little bit different upside and make some more risk. But in a first year player draft list like this, I think that the marginal difference between say Royce Lewis, you have at two and a guy like Beck at 13 or, or Fiedo at 16 or Pavin Smith, you have at 18. I have a little bit higher, but the difference between those two guys, like one and 18 or any kind of one. And then you go down 20 spots is smaller because we haven't seen much of them. They're just coming out of the draft. You know, there's so much to know that if you really want to make a case for a guy above someone else, like hundred green above Mackenzie Gore, like I don't think either of us are going to kill you for it. Like, it's just one of those things like, these are very, very marginal spot to spot lists. Like the difference between two and four here is is very different than the difference between 22 and 24 on a bigger list. So that's one of those things I just like tossing out just because I think it, the construction of the list is a little bit different. People sometimes get skewed looking and going, ah, oh, you got someone with five spots be- below Gore. It's like, well, in the end, like it's 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E. You know, it's like they're all yeah, very, yeah, very exactly. good. That's the thing. But Royce Lewis, um, let's get into some batters now. Do you think he sticks sure. at shortstop? Um, I think they're going to try like hell to stick him at shortstop because if he turns into a center fielder and they still have Byron Buxton at the time, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to mesh. I don't know how quickly Lewis gets to the majors either. He did see full season. I believe he, he touched the Midwest uh, League at the yeah, end of the year. A-ball, yep. So he saw a full season A-ball. He was really good in the Gulf Coast League, slash 279, 381, 407. The power is coming up. You watch this kid swing uh in in um in batting practice you see that the raw power is there great athlete um unbelievably quick good base dealer i think this guy ultimately if we're talking about the high end has 30 30 potential and um i think that puts him above in terms of american players above somebody like joe adele who i love but i think ultimately will be more of a middle of the order sort of masher with some batting average issues I think Royce Lewis is going to be the kind of player that potentially could do it all and could be a, a potential uh, superstar if he sticks to the shortstop position. I think that's part of it. If he moves to second base, I think he still maintains that value. If he moves to the outfield, I mean, he's still going to be a really valuable player. 30-30 plays anyway, obviously. Yeah. But um, if he's more like, let's say, 15-20 with like a 280 average, that doesn't. it still plays, but it's still not the same. Uh, in the outfield where someone like Louis Robier seems like he, he has the big power beyond base ability plus the speed that, that Lewis has. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more willing to, to buy into But I love Lewis. I took Lewis actually. I know that uh, Help and uh, Jack Full of Hate are trying to talk you into taking a team in this league, and we'll talk about ah, that yes. offline. But the Devil's uh, Rejects League, which is a baseball prospectus league, and I actually had the number one pick, and I took Royce Lewis number one overall last year. Uh, so I obviously believe in Lewis, and I have since January last year when I made that pick. So I like the yeah. overall ability there. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like him a lot too. I have him four. I almost think to some extent it's his his swing is almost too fluid. Like I don't think I've ever said that for a player, but I, I've watched a bit of him and it it's it's really fluid. There's there's a lot of moving parts, but to some extent those parts go together well enough for me to not be extremely concerned with the ultimate package you look at when you watch him. But the, the interesting thing with him, I remember if I'm remembering the draft correctly and what happened in the days before, he wasn't really considered the number one guy right like i think there was a couple other guys like hunter green i think was in the mix for one for a while yeah. just because the story was very interesting everyone was like oh maybe him blah 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 i think kyle Wright maybe was tossed in from vandy college pitchers tend to kind of go higher in drafts in the past years maybe not so much in the last few but mm-hmm. but lewis was one of those guys you looked at on draft day and he kind of just shot up and everyone was like all right he went one overall like great you know like it was one of those things like it kind of jumped on us and now yeah. i think almost to some extent because of that he's he's had his value inflated a little bit but i think it's appropriate inflation i don't think it's something that we're hyping him up too much like he's very good and he, i think even if he goes to a corner outfield spot that's fine i think we're one of the trends we're gonna start seeing baseball is guys who play like Bucks, byron buxton who cover a ton of ground in the corner outfield spots because that's mm-hmm. gonna if you put a buxton one and a buxton two and left and right you're covering the whole left side of the field and I think you're going to start to see a lot more teams do that where they take center fielders and start to adapt them to the corner spots, especially as we kind of get away from the the lumbering guys like Nelson Cruz. And I mean, Stan, as he gets older, he's going to put on he, he's not going to be nearly as flexible. I doubt he becomes an, an average fielder as he's yeah. been in the past. And he's probably a little bit below average, but I'm interested to see what they do with Lewis. But if he sticks that short, if I had to give you a binary answer, I don't think he does. But um, I would like to see him stick at short just because I know the the twins kind of bet on Polanco who's pretty uh, had some spurts last year, but Lewis would be if he sticks at short. I know he's six two or something like that, a little bit tall. Um, but mm. if he does, I'd love to see that. But I don't I just don't I don't see it personally from me. So um another hitter though, uh I have a little bit higher. I have seven, you have eighteen. Pavin Smith, Virginia. So there were two Virginia prospects that went in, in the most recent draft, Pavin Smith and Adam Hastley. Patton Smith's first baseman for the uh, Diamondbacks possibly could go to an outfield spot. Then you have Hasley, outfielder for the Phillies. Um, yeah, so Virginia, the Virginia guys, you look at them, and to me, I think there's a big difference between them. But um, what are your thoughts, I guess, kind of Patton Smith and um, Adam Hasley, the difference between them? Are you polar? If you Are you complete one end and the other end? I'm very high on Patton. I'm not too high on Hasley. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I had Hasley higher, but it was barely. I have him at 15 versus 18. Um, And the thing I like about Hasley is I think he's got two things that I look for that can be a separator, and that's power and some speed. Um, He really came on, uh, you know, his last year at Virginia. um, You know, so that's all part of it, too, where where Pavin Smith was more of a a developed name brand talent. He didn't really sort of pop up. Um, but all the scouting that I've heard on Hazley has been relatively good. I don't know how high his ceiling is as an offensive player. He may turn out to be an Adam Eaton type. I know that's sort of a popular uh, cliche <laughs> comp to throw out there yeah. with these players that have decent average, but they're not going to win a batting title. Some power, but they're not going to hit 25 homers. Some speed, but they're not going to steal 40 bases. And they're just sort of a good everyday player that plays well in the field. And I think that Hazley can be that. I think that the fact that he has power and speed, I like the organization. My um, nervousness and my trepidation with Pavin Smith might actually be rooted in how high I was a year ago on Will Craig. And that is uh-huh. a talented college hitter who can hit for average, can get on base, but has some questions and has had some questions previously because I, I believe Smith 
didn't hit for all that much power in the Cape a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken. I might be speaking out of other term here, but I know that 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 happened with um uh um with Craig, and uh, I kind of feel like they're com- comparable. Smith might be a little bit better of a hitter. He's better on base. He did hit a homer uh, in the playoffs. He didn't hit me during, um, you know, his uh, his rookie ball first professional experience there. But he did hit 318, got on base in a 401 clip. But it was only four, 415 slugging, and you'd like to see more from that from a first base guy, though I know some have said he could probably play a corner infield, uh, outfield spot. Um, from a first base only guy, you do want to see that sort of prodigious power. You want to see that guy that has a 25, at least, you know, bare minimum floor, if not more power than that. And that's why I knock, I knock Smith a little bit. Um, but I think there's a reasonable case for him to be as high as probably 10 on my list. I think if you swapped him and Prado and, or, you know, put him up to 10 and bumped everybody down, that's perfectly acceptable. And I think when you talk about tiers, that's a definite different tier for me where the, maybe the top, uh, five or a tier, and then sort of uh, from from Syria uh, to Kyle Wright or another tier, and then I think from sort of Prado right down to uh, to Smith or maybe even Nate Pearson is a uh, is is sort of that that next tier, which is a little bit bigger. Yeah, Pavin's a guy that I like actually a ton. I have him seven. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I agree. He had a very weird rookie ball line. You mentioned three eighteen four hundred one, uh, no home runs but he had uh, 15 doubles. So he slugged, but he didn't really slug too much. It was very odd. But then he finally had a home run, I believe, in the playoffs. Um, I think he played for Hillsborough. But I I enjoy his swing a lot. I really like it's compact. It has power nestled within it, even if it didn't show in this rookie ball stint. College hitter, he's polished. I I get kind of that Will Craig comp that's interesting. I didn't actually think about that when I was looking at him. But, I mean, I I think I have on my list in my top 10 at least a weird mix between – guys with a lot of upside that I like personally. And then guys who I think have floors and Pavin has that floor sure. to me. And I think it's going to play out beautiful discipline and in, in rookie ball, which supersedes a ton of other guys we see on this list who just, the knock is discipline. It's problems with the swing and miss. You know, we're not really sure how stable it is. You look at Pavin, it's not an issue at all. The issue is how much power is there, as you're saying. Mm. And I think I buy into that and that development, even though a lot of people would say he's pretty far along in that development path already. I think I buy in that there's a little bit more there. I like his swing a lot. I think that plays up in Chase if he can get up to Chase. As far as Hasley, I'm a little bit, I think, lower um, than you. I'm a little bit concerned with the power more so displaying at the major league level. I'm kind of a – I looked at him and, and what he's done and how he's hit. He hit well in college, and I, and I thought to myself, there's a bunch of tools here. He does kind of everything, but there's not one thing that I'm like, oh, great. If I have Hasley on my team, I know I'm getting this. you know. And, I mean, you could kind of say I guess that's average, but – and to some extent, like what, how much value does that have on the fantasy side of things? You know, this feels to me like a better everyday player than um, a fantasy player. And I think that at the end of the day, we're looking at this for fantasy value. And that's why I, I really like Pavin um, a ton and I'm shooting him up. But uh, Hasley, it's just tough. It's funky. He's a weird looking guy at the box too, I have to say. I don't want to knock yeah. him aesthetically, but man, if you watch that swing, it's it's weird. It's very weird. It doesn't even look like he's swinging that hard and he makes contact and pops the ball. And it's like, okay. <laughs> And like the, tweaks, weird, the weird thing is, is he had made some tweaks to tap into more power. And Virginia is, is an awful power park. I think it's actually the worst yeah. power park in the ACC, if not one of the, the worst power parks in all of sort of 
big time division one yeah. baseball. It's not an easy park to get the power. And which is why I was always really high on Derek Fisher because of what he did when he was at Virginia. Yeah. And Ralph, I hear you want to talk about our friends at Rotoware quick. I do. I do. I wanted to go into rotoware.com. Kenneth Cashman. We've always mentioned he's got his finger on the pulse. The best of uh, the fantasy design t-shirts, you know, awesome stuff. I, I, I obviously have numerous shirts. I was wearing my commissioner shirt last night uh, on our, our season debut of the baseball show. I got my Roto God shirt in, in consultation. I think I actually wore it during Thanksgiving dinner because I'm really classy. Um, <laughs> my kids have Roto Wear shirts. Great designs uh, for football. He's got fantasy hockey shirts. Um, obviously, tons of baseball shirts. Uh, and the thing is, they're great material, top notch material in terms of the shirts, design, details, everything about it. I know you just got one in the mail, and I'm sure you probably noticed. The cards that come with it, the packaging. I mean, uh, Kenneth really focuses on giving people the highest possible quality product at a good price. And it's a great, great potential gift for for Christmas. The holidays coming up. If you have some friends, guys in your league that uh, maybe you owe a couple bucks to or just, you know, maybe the shirt or whatever it is, the phrasing reminds you of them. Great one uh, gift for those guys. We have a promo code, SAGNOF. I believe you get 15 or 20% off. I always get that wrong. <laughs> but uh, Lance, what do you have to say about, about Roto-Ware and, yeah, and, and Kenny Cashman? Kenny reached out to me I, when he heard that I was coming on the pod and joining you, Ralph. And he's like, I got to send you a shirt. And I was immediately like, yes. Like, I always kind of wanted one, but I wasn't – I don't think I was far enough into the the Razzball brand yet or the Fantrax brand yet with you guys to to request one from. And I wasn't going to request them. I followed him on Twitter for a while, and I saw a lot of the shirts. And I always, I always enjoyed them. I saw them everywhere. I saw them – there's a big AFL thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago that all the guys were down at. I saw a lot of people from baseball HQ and stuff were down there and they were all wearing them. And I was just like, man, I got to get one of those. And then when you invited me on the pod, I was like, uh, in the back of my head, I I said yes, because I knew I was going to get a shirt. (laughs) So, so I'm very excited. I got mine the other day. I enjoy all the little cards in there. He gave me a bunch of stickers, which I'm going to slap some places. Um, but the shirt itself, yeah, the quality is fantastic. I got an, I love my keeper shirt, which is fantastic. Cause I might wear it around the gym a little bit and I don't think anyone's going to get it, but if there's yeah. ever anyone that sees me that understands it's like a dynasty joke, I'm going to, I'm going to die. Like that'd be just the highlight of my freaking year. <laughs> so yeah, definitely mad, mad props to him. He does a fantastic job. And Sagnoff is the, is the code steals ain't got no face. That's a good one. Or is the saves ain't got no face. There's a bull. It's both. It's well, both. That's what I love. Razzball, Razzball with the branding, I got to say, they've done a fantastic job. And um, I'm very happy to be on this podcast, which is something I didn't say at the top of this podcast, but I have to say now because I appreciate everyone at Razzball. They've done wonders for my exposure. And uh, this is just another step. So, yeah, definitely. The guys at Roadware, too. Man, there's some good brands out there. 2017, bad year overall, I would say, for a lot of things. Pretty good year for fantasy baseball and some other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for for fantasy baseball, it was a very good year for me, though. I didn't I didn't take down the Perch League versus uh, Gray, but I was I was close. Uh, but hey, there you go. Rotoware, the fact that they're a sponsor, great recruiting tool for Huge. good talent. Thanks, Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Help. Thanks a lot, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get. We should. We should clip up Help's voice and just play it every now and then, and just saying random things. Like I, we got. I don't know if he had pulse. like. Finger on the pulse, exactly. If he had phrases or something he used over and over, we need to we need to clip up that audio. I might download some of the old pods between you two and and start to toss them in there. <laughs> We're gonna have a soundboard like it's like how yeah, yeah. back in the day with like Jackie the Joke Man. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. But yeah, RotoWare, check him out. That's awesome. Follow him on Twitter too. Good follow. He does a lot of cool graphics I've seen on his Twitter account yeah. too. I saw he did the graphic for the the Fantrax baseball show. I thought that was sick with the crab in the top and stuff. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, the detail. Did, we had our own the detail. We had yeah. our own GIF, and I then he took an inside joke of uh, who would play uh, Andy and I in the baseball show movie. And uh, he, I saw, he yeah, super superimposed the faces, Mandy right? Bat- yeah, Mandy Batankin onto mine, and then Chow's commentary onto uh, Andy. <laughs> I, I saw that, and I was just like, that that is what you guys are going to look like in like 30 years when you're still doing this. That's it, <laughs> that is the spinning image. So, I, I enjoy <laughs> that a lot. Very funny, nice. All right, let's awesome. get into some Joe yeah. Adele, huh? So yeah, Joe Adele, hear your take on Joe Adele because I am a huge Joe Adele fan, I, I buy the power. I loved him coming out of the draft and he had uh, coming into the draft and there were some knocks on him because he went to sort of a smaller school Ballard in Kentucky. He wasn't going against that sort of top level, Florida, Georgia, California, sort of, you know, Texas storied competition. There were some questions about his swing and miss. He had a sub 25% K rate and solid walk rates across two levels of rookie ball. Yep. What do you think about Adele? Yeah. So he slashed three sixty seven, four eleven, five eighteen, a rookie ball. Um, and 90 plate appearances. So watch that sample size, but I, I enjoy him a lot. You know, he's one of the guys I think that's been buzzed about a bit and trying to figure out how much power is in that swing to be developed. He's very young, but the power I think is there. I think that there is some more power in that. I've seen his swinging a bit. The thing that I like the most about him, I like adjustments early in their career, the willingness for players like this to make adjustments. If you watch any of his tape from perfect game, and you watch his tape now, he's already quieted his hands to some extent. Yeah. That's something that I absolutely love. He used to have kind of a higher bat. And he's brought that down a little bit. It's very, very fluid swing. Um, I'm interested to see if he puts on any more weight, if that turns into even plus power. Like I think he'd get to above average power, but if that gets to an actual plus tool for him, I'd be very interested to see that. Um, the knock on him, if there is a knock, it's that he's had arm problems from what I understand. I um, mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe he had some arm problems and that extended into him going to the corner outfield spot. Um, and am I wrong on this, Ralph? Am I thinking of someone else? I think you're thinking of Keston Giria, who had No, no, Giria had arm problems too, I think. I thought Joe yeah. Adele did. He might no, 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 no. He ha- he did have arm problems because he was a pitcher and I and I think yes, he yeah. was hitting mid nineties, and then I think his fastball yep. was all the way down to like eighty eight or something like that, or eighty six. It was like he lost all of his um yeah. fastball, which so maybe he's not a, a, a right fielder, but um, I do think he has plus plus power. I think this guy has would I think this guy has maybe the most legitimate thump in the first. Wow, in my opinion, yeah, especially that's big. I like that. Yeah, I think this guy can mash. I mean, and you saw it with the the amount of homers that he hit too. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm interested. I think maybe where I saw it was Fangraphs with Long and Hayden was talking about it because I did see that fact that he was a pitcher. He's pumping 94. And then he becomes an outfielder. And the, I think the, sw- the interest is around whether he sticks in center. Obviously, you got Trout in center in, in Anaheim. But uh, I'm interested to see kind of if that affects him at all. I know Hiria has the arm issue, but I thought Joe Adele had more of an, an arm issue that I think wasn't as publicized as Hiria. So um, I'm not sure if that's bounced back. I'm interested. Maybe I'll, I'll do a little bit digging and see if that's something that has bounced back in his, in his rookie ball stint. But yeah, the, the swing is awesome. It's compact. I like it a lot. Um, I have him at eight, really not too much of a difference between eight and five between the two of us. Who I have five is Hiri, who you were just talking about, who during draft season was a basically a wild card. I remember hearing a lot of podcasts after the draft that were just kind of like shrugging their shoulders. Like, I don't know. Like, is he going to get Tommy John to be out for a year? Is he not going to get Tommy John to be out for a year? And everyone was just kind of sitting on a middle infielder. He's got probably what I think a lot of people consider now the best bat 
um, from this draft, like pure contact bat in this draft. Mm-hmm. He's been unbelievable. He's got a kind of a funky swing too, but I almost feel like fantasy wise, this is one of those guys that's made for fantasy. Like whether you think he's got a spot position wise on the Brewers is up to you. Like, that's fine. I don't really want to debate that too much, but he feels to some extent like a, a, a version of Willie Calhoun where in real life, you look at him and you go, where on earth do we play him? But you look at the fantasy term and, you know, you, I've seen some zips projections for Willie Calhoun, 27 home runs. It's like, I, that's unbelievable for a rookie. Like, you don't see that a lot. So it's one of those things that turns into fantasy value immediately. And I feel like for Willie, that got bogged down a little bit because we just weren't sure where he's going to play. He got traded to Texas, et cetera. With here, it's the same thing. You know, we're not really sure if he's going to have this arm problem. They've been trying to just rest it and let it get healthy. But with here, um, I love the bat. I love it. He's got a 26 line, 26% lie drive rate. I think in his, yeah. in his rookie ball um, stint yeah. there. I think when he actually jumped up the low, a, I think he got promoted to low a and he had 26% line drive rate. It's yeah. just, it's an all fields kind of swing. Um, I'm very impressed with him. And I think I agree in saying that if you're talking pure bat, pure contact, he's, he's the best hitter in this draft, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, it sort of be, I think it could sort of be a 2016 Dustin Pedroia, and, uh, meaning that he's not going to have the, the speed that sort of Pedroia had in his best years. But I think he has sort of mid-teen pop, maybe with a little bit more ceiling on that. But I think he's going to be a really good hitter the way Dustin Pedroia was. And by the way, when I talked to uh, Jacob Faria last night, uh, Faria said that Pedroia was the toughest out he faced in the major leagues. Uh, wow. You know, during Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting, you know. So that's not me. That's not me pumping up a Red Sox uh, player because I'm a, oh, I'm I mean, a Pedro, yeah. or something. But uh, as for Erie, I think he hit on the nail on the head. Um, there were some questions. He didn't play the field at all. Is his last year's junior year um, at, at Cal Fullerton, I believe. And uh, you know, but the numbers were great. I mean, in terms of pure hitting, on base, uh, batting average, he was in the top one or two in almost all those categories. Right across the board, he was relatively so high in slugging. I think there is some power here. This guy across a couple of levels slash 371, 422, 611 with four homers and 33 RBIs and not all that many games. So this guy can hit. He's He's got sort of the, the elite bat control that you look for where this guy is going to immediately translate to the major league. Now, do I think he has like the potential superstar, fantasy superstar upside? No, but mm-hmm. I think he's, you know, certainly a player that in a few years, you know, once he's up, you know, second, you know, second year in the league, first full year in the league could be a guy that's easily going within the top 100 picks. Mm. Um, and I think that he's relatively safe in that regard. Now, as for the risk with the Tommy John surgery, I'll update you a little bit. He played, he's through his, his throwing program. He completed it. Um, arm strength is back. He was playing only second base uh, during instruct. So my understanding is that he will get a full season assignment next year and he'll be an everyday second baseman. So if that if that uh, comes to fruition and he doesn't re-aggravate the elbow or have any flare-ups, which I would think with a second baseman, it's a position player, probably less likely to happen than a pitcher who's you know obviously putting that torque in his arm. Um, so let's let's hope that you know he's uh, he's out of the woods with that elbow issue and can really move forward because he is a really safe prospect and a guy in a first-year player draft that you're competing and what's yeah. he need a middle infield or someone who's short to the, the majors. He's a guy that I would trade up and, and add. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's here on the hitting side. And for me, it's Kyra on the pitching side. As far as if you're a contender and you're looking for just value right now, that could shoot up through your, your system and in the year be there and make an impact. And I agree, the upside probably isn't insane. But I mean, second base, like you have, if you have a really, really good bat like this as a second base, there's value in that than middle infield, even if as even if this juice ball sticks and you start to see a lot of those 
12 home run guys turn into 16 to 18 home run guys. I think there's still value with it, but I, I like Harry a lot. Let's jump down to uh, what combo up to. So we were talking a little bit about Helio Ramos for the Giants mm-hmm. outfielder, who just has kind of, he's the hot guy. He's the guy that it, of this draft probably races stock the most. I think it's from what I've heard. Yes. And I agree with that. Um, the power is unbelievable. The speed is also unbelievable. The strikeouts are also unbelievable, which is so <laughs> common among all these prospects that we say kind of have this higher upside, but if you're going pure, pure, pure upside, I think that as far as bats go, he's probably the highest pure upside wise. But as far as the percentage, like the potential he actually gets there, probably a little bit lower. Like if you come to a guy like Roy, uh, Lewis, you know, Royce Lewis, like I think that there's a better chance that Royce Lewis reaches present potential than Heliot Ramos, in my opinion. Um, I'm interested. I know you love him. So your general take on him run it down. Like he rookie ball, 30% strikeout rate. I know he had a crazy high yeah. Babbitt, but six home runs, 10 bags is wild, right? Yeah. And he's only 17 years old. I think yeah, that's the crazy he part. He was one of the youngest players in the draft, if not the youngest, but I don't think he was, I think he was maybe within the bottom five, but not the youngest guy, but either way, plus power, elite bat speed, plus speed. The batting average on balls in play was 500. That's serious. It was 500. <laughs> so he slashed 348, 404, 645. You really can't slug 645 without hitting, without at least like a 370 batting average on balls in play. Because if you hit the ball that hard and you slug that much, it's just going to happen. Yep. Um, obviously, 500 is nuts. I mean, 400 is nuts. And it's almost like Miguel Sano sort of smoking and mirrors his first half a season in the league where he had With a 35%, legs, yeah. Yeah, 35% strikeout rate and like a 400 batting average on ball. <laughs> but here's the thing with Ramos is Ramos was so young. The scouting was so good. The numbers were so good that I'm willing to realize that he's going to come down a little bit. Maybe he's going to have some years where he hits 260 and has to figure it out. But 31%, I'm not going to be too concerned. He's so young at 17 years old. And we know that strikeout rates rise and then typically stabilize and get better as players mature most of the time, as long as they don't have massive holes in their swing or mental problems at the plate and they're just a, a head case. But typically, with your typical great talent, a good athlete like this, um, he's going to you know, improve and get better even as he gets met with different challenges. And I think ultimately that's what we'll see. Um, if this is a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. who – Next oh, year, Tatis. You know, right? I mean, gets a full season assignment and all of a sudden just rockets, right? I mean, yeah. it was the same thing with Tatis. Tatis had some swing and miss concerns. There still are swing and miss concerns with Tatis, but mm-hmm. still, the numbers were so good. And Ramos is a similar, you know, singular sort of could be a potential generational talent. He's that good in terms of his raw tools. And he's way better than we thought. And, you know, I, I always come back to this. I had read in a pre-draft uh, write-up, either on uh, Baseball America or MLB, that he hit a ball like 550 feet with a BB core bat, which obviously you oh. know, gives you a little bit more power. But not <laughs> yeah. I, not everybody's hitting a 550-foot ball at 16 <laughs> years old with with any oh kind God. of a bat, even if it has super balls in it, okay? Oh, yeah. No, that's 100%. And the big thing, you know, with a lot of guys that are, are rookie ball level and have that high of a striker, right? You often hear that the breaking ball recognition is just not good. And I think that that's one of the, probably the bigger problems with Ramos is just that he just kind of doesn't have a developed eye for the breaking ball. But if you're throwing him fastballs, 
I, I don't want to be the pitcher because I would be dropping to the floor prone just so he doesn't lace it off my dome or something. But yeah, yeah exactly. but, but Ramos, yeah, the, the upside's unbelievable. If you're, I mean, if you want to go contrarian to the Hirio Kyle Wright where you just want value now and you want the absolute lotto ticket and you're a contending team that you think, you know, you don't really care about the next two years, what you draft in the first year player draft like this, I'd go Ramos. Like grab Ramos if you have like the seventh pick or something like that, or hopefully he falls there, but grab him. Like he's the lottery ticket, in my opinion, as far as putting everything together, if he can, he's very, very young. He's going to take some more time on the development side, but if you're contending and you know, you're going to contend for two, three years, like scoop him up, see what happens. You never know. Um, going to a guy that's probably a little bit more actually similar K rate as far as um, 30%, but Brett Rooker first baseman for the twins here. Um, I like him a lot. Mississippi state, I believe was where he played college ball. Yes. I was watching a couple uh, videos of him just absolutely mash at Mississippi state with the metal bat. And I, just kind of started to fall in love a little bit. This might be one of my crushes. I have him at nine. I think you have him at eight, actually. So not even really too much of a crush, but very similar ranking for both of us here. Um, I'm interested. He's got 11 home runs and 162 plate appearances in high A. Um, Is he the only guy we're kind of looking at that's played high A? Ralph, I'm trying to think. I I looked through a lot of these guys. I don't think I saw anyone else reach that level. Uh, Kyle Um, Kyle Wright, I believe, had a start. um, Oh, he did. He did. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the Florida Flyerflies. Same league. And this yeah. is what I want to put into context with Brett Rooker, okay? This guy hit 11 homers in 40 games yeah. in the Florida State League. That doesn't happen. If you hit 11 homers and you're like a decent, like if you're a good power prospect, like a Dom Smith had like 10 and everyone went crazy. They were like, oh, his power is breaking out. He's hitting. It is incredibly hard to come by power in the Florida State League. You have a hot sun where these guys are playing all the time. There's wind blowing in. There's bigger ballparks. It, it's it, it is to uh, uh, pitching what power and hitting is to the PCL. You know, this is the 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 ultimate pitching environment. And this guy came in, you know, jumped right up from from rookie ball and mashed. Now, you know, there were some strikeout concerns there. I think this guy's always going to strike out a bit. One thing that he does, unlike another Mississippi State alumnus with huge power that came out of college, relatively developed. Um, that being Hunter Renfro, is he walks unlike Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Uh, had 11% walk rate, um, you know, in his first start in rookie ball with 22 games, the next 40 games was just uh, just a, a hair under 10% at 9.9% was his walk rate in the Florida State League. So he's a guy that, that works the county, takes pitches. He's going to be somewhat of a three-outcome hitter, I think. You know, he's never – he's not going to hit 280. Um, he'll probably more of like a 250, 260 hitter. But I think there is 30 to 40 thump in this guy's bat. He's got that natural power, and that plays in this in this environment currently. So the ball stay juiced. I think Rooker is a good bet. I agree. Uh, jumping back to some arms, uh, Shane Bass, high school pitcher, got 80 grade hair in my opinion. Um, you have him much lower than me. I brought him up to 10. I just kind of like everything he has. There's legends of him having legitimately five pitches, which is almost mm-hmm. like a Honeywell-esque saga to me, and I enjoy that a lot. Um, righty pitcher for Pittsburgh. Um, he had 23 innings in rookie ball. That five pitch mix, extremely, extremely high ceiling here is what we're looking at. Pumps like 98. Um, but overall, it's just tough looking at him if you're if you're investing in a pitcher. You know, if you're investing in a guy like Gore and Green, it's probably going to take a while for him to get there. But you could see the floor even with a guy like a ceiling that high. That floor is a little bit higher. But a guy like Baz. The the floor is low and this and the ceiling is equally as high. He reminds me a bit of, of Riley Pint, who we were talking about a bit. Mm. Um 
in the fact that he's a high school pitcher, remove cores from the equation on pint, but with Baz, you know, there's so much upside. We're just not too sure what we're looking at as far as a prospect goes, but I enjoy everything I saw out of him. I liked everything he, he featured in some of the videos I watched. Um, I'm interested to see where the walk rate goes. Obviously with a lot of these high school pitchers, the command isn't always first and foremost, but I think he can figure it out. I like his mechanics. I thought they were pretty clean um, and everything as far as the breaking balls go. He, I think he can survive as a two breaking ball pitcher. And I'm very interested to see what happens in his development, how quickly he can go through. But I like the fact that he threw 23 innings as a high school pitcher. Um, he's getting off the ground running. I'm interested to see him yeah. in a full season. And I'm interested to see kind of that workload and how quickly he can advance. Like, is he getting up to 120 innings in a couple of years? Like, does that quickly jump up to 160 by his third year in the minors? And then maybe that fourth year we see him? Or is this kind of more of a, a Tyler Kolick side where it just kind of fizzles out because he's throwing too hard and he ends up with arm problems? So he's, I, I kind of am taking a shot on here. And as I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm actually probably coming down a little bit on how high I was <laughs> when, I, when I made this list, but uh, I, I won't, I won't factor that in, but your thoughts on Baz. Yeah. And I didn't want to, I think one of the things with, with Baz is I had maybe eight out of 25 were starters. And like I said, I go hitting heavy. I thought there were some talented um, prep hitters in this draft that went a little unheralded that I you know found the way toward the back of my, my uh my top 25 one being mark Vientos of uh the mets who's i think actually the youngest player in the draft who's a really interesting corner uh, uh infield prospect there aren't many good corner infield prospects at the moment so that was part of it too baz isn't that different from mckenzie gore in that he has this wide variety of of offerings doesn't control his stuff as well as gore does but he does have feel i mean his his fastball velocity, and I think this is really interesting, has a huge range. It can be as low yeah. as 91 all the way up to 98, and it's depending upon really how he's throwing it, what he's spinning on it. It's got really good movement on it, which is a big thing with fastballs, that it's not flat. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the five pitches. I think it's interesting that he has a cutter and a slider that are distinctly different. You know, the cutter yeah. being, you know, the more traditional high 80s, and a slider being one of these more like, you know, Houston sliders that's, he's almost like yeah a little slurvy um which is interesting and, and he's you know he's got a, a a work in progress change and uh you know an average curveball as well so he legitimately has five different pitches i guess my my questions are he didn't you know uh assimilate the pro ball the same way that gore did and i i think i'm splitting here because i really like baz coming into the draft and i backed off him a little bit but the pirates are relatively good um, pitching development organization. They, they typically bring these guys to draft highly um, and bring them through. Even someone like Tyler Glasnow, who though hasn't had success in the major league level, was a fifth or sixth round pick, really raw, big guy. And, you know, they at least mold him the point that he was a really good tradable asset that totally lost his value, but yeah. he's a top 10 <laughs> prospect, you know? So yeah. um, once again, when we talk about the development side of things, I think that's one thing with Baz, it's a, a, a green check mark that, you know, he's, He's in the Pirates organization. They typically do a good job of developing their arms. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. We've seen, I mean, Mitch Keller's a guy who's kind of flown up as far as the righties go. And and I think a lot of prospect lists are going to have him pretty high. I think when we do our top 100s, which will probably be coming up relatively soon, or re redo them at least for the coming season, um, I'm interested to see where we have a guy like Keller. You know, it seems like we always end up with a Pirates prospect at some point. It becomes very, very intriguing. But um, let's open it up now. Kind of just if you want to talk about someone you haven't talked about, I know we only kind of got through like top 12 ish here. We kind of jumped down to other guys that were in the, the 10 to 20 range. Like we looked at Hasley a little bit, but we haven't talked about some of these other guys in here. I'm interested to see. I'm going to pull up two guys, maybe quickly, Ralph, you pull two and we just talk about them quick. 
The two I'm going to pull up, um, one you don't have ranked, but one it's one I saw. It's Jaron Kendall, actually. Um, Vandy outfielder plays for the Dodgers. I saw him actually out in Indiana when I got a look at Tatis Jr. and, and Adrian Marejon, actually, of the Padres. Um, Kendall happened to be on the other side with the Great Lakes Loons, and I was actually a little bit intrigued by him. Um, he's an interesting prospect to me as a whole. I actually thought he looked pretty good. He's got an interesting compact swing. It's changed a ton from college. He had almost literally no movement. Like if you think this is a terrible comp, I'm going to drop it though. You know, if you ever watch Steph Curry where he's literally, he's gotten everything out of his jump shot. It's literally take the ball into fluid motion. There's no like, oh, I could see he's loading here and shooting here and his arms turning here. Yeah. It's literally catch the ball and shooting. He's deadly accurate. If you watch, if you watch Darren Kendall, had Vandy hit at all, there's literally no movement in his swing. It's like his foot is a little bit in, it turns, and then he pushes forward and he swings. Like the, you yeah. you don't even know he's swung. But I'm interested most because he, they dropped his hands when he got into the Dodgers system and he opened up his stance a little bit. And I don't think there's a lot of power there at all, but I'm interested to see because he's such a good player, he's such a good outfielder. Um, he got caught stealing a ton in the minor leagues, which I'm a little yeah. bit concerned about. I was hoping that there would be a little bit of speed with this. This feels like kind of one of those kind of Ben Revere-ish players from the left side. Um, I mean, obviously, Ben Revere, um, one of those guys who just kind of always survived on speed. But there's really nothing else there as far as power goes. But I'm, I just kind of – I don't know. There was something about him when I saw him. I don't know if there's a little bit of bias just from me seeing him. But I enjoyed Jaron Kendall a bit. And then the last guy I'll jump on quick, um, Alex Fajardo of the Tigers. Uh, we, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Ralph, was a little bit about how much reliever risk there are on some of these guys. There's Bukaskis. We have – um, in Fayeda were the two that jumped out to me as, as having the, the highest risk to just jump to the bullpen. And I mean, with the plethora of, of relievers and where they go, like there's rarely a guy in the minor leagues that you look at it like he's a future closer. I know that happened with Ken Giles on the Phillies. We saw him in double a, or I saw him in double a actually out in Reading. And the, he was one of those guys you looked at me, you're like, he's the closer of the future, but that doesn't happen a lot. Like even for the white Sox, a guy like Carson Fulmer, like they kind of talked about him being the closer, et cetera. And then you look at that pen now and you have like three guys there that are reasonable. Nate Jones coming back this year for the white Sox. But I, I think that you want to kind of avoid to some extent, these guys with this reliever risk. And Fido is one of those guys who just has a devastating slider. As far as like the best slider in the draft goes, I think it's a little bit underrated, but I almost want to give it to Fido, but he's got a yeah. very weird, weird motion. It's kind of very far extended from his body. He's got a little bit of a weird tilt. He's very big. He's like, he's like 6'4", 225-ish. It's, it's a funky delivery, but I've heard a ton over and over and everything I've seen of him that – I know he's got injury concerns too, but I've heard a ton that it's funky deliveries like that with a one really good pitch that turns into an elite reliever. And the same with Bukaskis, another fantastic slider. Shorter, a little bit undersized, a lot of effort and delivery, mm. but it could be interesting if you put him in a closer role. But, I mean, you turn this back to the fantasy side of it. Like, do you want to be taking a guy like this who might turn into a reliever, a dominant reliever at that, but a reliever in a draft like this when relievers otherwise are so such weird commodities, especially in dynasty leagues? Yeah, I you know, I don't know how much uh, reliever risk I, I see uh, Fado having. Um, I mean, he got through 123 innings last year, and, and yeah. I do like his fastball great action on it really nice movement it's, it's a tough pitch to barrel up that's what i've always heard from scouts really good slider i think bukowskis is the best uh breaking pitch in the draft in that slider better than fado's but um i would bet on fado being a a starter could be a guy you could even move up to the top 10 i think he's in the conversation with kyle wright in terms of the best college starters in this draft 
Um, Wright was a little bit better from start to finish. Sato sort of was coming off a, a double knee, knee surgery yeah, last wild. season, which took him a while to get back going. So I, I think that there's some injury risk and some stuff that it could pop up again. That's going to be a concern. Um, and then as, you know, and, and, you know, as for uh, um, the other two, two players that you had mentioned, um, you had thrown out uh, crap. I'm totally drawing a blank now. Oh, Kendall. Kendall, yeah. I wanted to mention, um, I think he has a little more power than you're mentioning, but I, I still don't think it's a ton. He gets comped yeah. to Jacoby Ellsbury constantly, and I think that's probably yeah, a relatively fair uh, comp. The thing that is crazy to me is that he was caught eight out of 13 eight times. times. Yeah. And he was only caught 16 out of 83 attempts in college. This guy rarely he was a very efficient base dealer, and I just don't know where that's coming from. So I know. Um, it's that weird. That is pretty surprising. Yeah, that is a little surprising. As for a couple of players that I wanted to mention, um, my man crush in, in this draft is uh, Tristan Lutz of the Brewers, another Brewers outfield prospect. But um, really good player, sort of a complete contact, power skills, I think, you know, sort of a prototypical middle-of-the-order bat. Really good numbers when he came in a rookie ball. 311, 398, 559, nine homers, had four steals. Not going to be a guy that steals a lot of bases, but I think you have contact power there. There's a lot of upside with Lutz, and he might be slept on a little bit. The other guy I wanted to mention is Bubba Thompson, and this is the classic sort of Rangers-Daniels draft pick. Super great athlete, unbelievable athlete in the outfield, very raw. but he's somebody that they can mold, almost like a Lewis Brinson style player. You know, Sixty grade runner, loose handed, you know, right handed swing. I think there's definitely, you know, when you watch a swing, consistent contact, but there's definitely potential for more power. Um, so Bubba Thompson is a guy that I'm buying into. Plus, he's got an eighty grade name. Bubba Thompson sounds like yeah. a professional baseball player. We we know what happened to the last Bubba though. Remember Bubba Starling, the outfielder he's for the not Royals. Bubba Starling, don't don't put that evil on Bubba Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> that was a disaster if I've ever seen. I remember Bubba Starling, but uh, I'm not. Or uh, I'm thinking of Bobby Crosby. I remember Bobby Crosby shortstop for the A's oh, a while back. Yes. So that that's interesting with Bubba. But yeah, Bubba actually reminds me. You have Bubba and Beck, Austin Beck, outfield for the Athletics, 12 and 13 on your list. I feel like those are relatively similar players. You're talking about. Like, would you say 70 grade speed or 60 grade speed for yeah. Bubba? Yeah, Beck's the same um, thing, I think, I think to some extent. 70, yeah, I, yeah, in that we'll window, see. in that window. 80, but, 80 grade speed. He's 3.7. <laughs> he's so tiny. Yeah, I, I exactly. <laughs> but yeah, <that's, laughs> I feel like both those guys. Uh, I'm interested to see what the A's do with Beck to some extent, as far as you mentioned the Brinson style molding into what they want with him. I don't know how much power is in Beck's bat, but in the same way you're talking about Thompson, those are very similar players, and I'm actually a little bit interested to see the development specifically with those two as they f- fly through those uh, AL West systems there. Mm. Um, well, yeah. I was going to say, anybody else you wanted to mention? I think we've, we've talked quite a bit. We dug yeah, we you have. guys maybe a little more than usual, but you, you, you guys can go check I think out we're my good. top 25 if you want yeah. to go through all of them. And uh, any players we didn't touch on, feel free to drop them in the comments. This was our official first podcast between yourself and myself, Lance. The bro, bro shits, shits combo. Full effect. How did you feel? Feels good, right? It feels good. Yeah. I think it's good to get the first one out of the way too. You know, something like this is interesting as we get into systems. I feel like it's going to get a little more regimented. We'll be able to bring in some more stories. We'll let you guys kind of dig into the life of Ralph and Lance. I think it will be fun. I like mixing <laughs> stuff in like that. You know, this is, you guys come here for the prospect news and the knowledge and the insight and stuff and the fantasy side, but at the same time, you know, we're having a conversation, we're having fun. So I enjoy yeah. a lot of laughs we have. And I think that those, will, those won't stop. Those won't seize as we go through. No, but yeah, again, 
and we're going to be able to record some podcasts actually in person as well because yes. we live about 40 minutes from each other yep. in Massachusetts. So it's an all Massachusetts podcast, though. You are not a Red Sox fan. You're a Cardinals fan. No, I'm a we'll, Cardinals fan. We'll yes. get into that very soon. We'll probably get into that in the next episode or yeah. at least a few down the road. When we get into the Cardinals system and I bring yes. on Matt Thompson and the two of you guys can just nerd uh, out. Oh, yeah, that'll Cardinals, be awesome. It'll be interesting. Oh, that's going to be a nerd uh, out fest. <laughs> but that's it for the Rasball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Prospect Jesus. Sorry to be sacrilegious. You can also find me uh, on Tuesdays and on Sundays holding it down with my prospect posts on Razzball. Also do the fan, uh, fan tracks Baseball Show. We're going to be Wednesdays at 9 this year when we go live. Uh, used to be Tuesdays. So there you go. I'm going to kick it over to my new co-host. Yeah. Lance. Yeah. I, again, I just want to extend a big thanks to, to you, Ralph, and to Razzball for, for letting me jump on with you guys and do this. I'm, I'm very excited to do this with you. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to really dig into some prospect stuff. I think we both have extensive knowledge as far as everything goes with mechanics to the stats side to everything. And it's, it's just going to be a ton of fun to, to shoot this shit, honestly, on prospect. I think it's going to be a blast. I'm very excited and I'm honored that I was your first choice. But <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter too. I've been trying to grow my following a bit. I'm, I'm near that thousand follower mark. So I really like to get that up. If anyone listens to this, I'm at Lance Brosdow, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W, Lance Brosdow. Um, I, I'm sure if you search through Ralph's followers and stuff, you'll see me pop in there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm writing for Razzball too. I'll be writing throughout the season, periodically through the off season. I don't have as much of a regimented schedule as Ralph. I'm kind of more sync up with gray and see what they have something coming on. Um, I, I generally will be running a little bit more on the major league side too. So this will be kind of my prospect outlet, which I like a lot. Um, I also run big three sports.com. I write a little bit for baseball prospectus. I do a lot of stuff. I work for the collegiate baseball scouting network. Now I'm an editor, um, a ton of stuff. I do a lot of stuff. And this is one of the things I've, I've kind of looked forward to a ton. So Again, big thanks to everyone and help. I think we're all going to miss you, but we're going to do our best to uh, to fulfill uh, your best wishes and and how you would have wanted to see this go from here on out with, <laughs> with the bro shits combo. So, <laughs> all right, well there we go. First one in the books. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.